Uh, We're going to take a reading, starting from Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For through him, sorry, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has a body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil evil with good. The title of my sermon today is God Provides Fire for Our Sacrifice. And in this passage we have been reading, 
about God calling us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, there in chapter 12, verse 1. But I didn't start in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember, when the New Testament was written, and these were written as letters, there were no chapters or verses. That was put in later by the church to help us uh, find readings. I started from verse 33 of Romans 11, which is, a, it is Paul bursting out in praise about the marvellous, incredible wisdom of God, and that none of us can second-guess what God's plans are. Paul has just been speaking into a situation where people are saying, what's going on? What's God doing? Uh, it's in the beginning, uh, in, the, in the start of Acts, Jews were getting saved in their thousands. But now hardly any Jews are getting saved. But the Gentiles are now coming in their thousands. Has God given up on Israel? And, and Paul is addressing that and saying, hey, I, I haven't got the full picture here, but let me tell you something. Uh, God, in his wisdom has for a while hardened the Jewish people so that the Gentiles can come in, but he's not finished with the Jewish people because in the end time last revival of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit before Jesus returns, God is going to save all of Israel. And then he says, isn't this incredible? You can't work out God. You can't figure him out. You can't tell him what his ways are. Uh, you can't be his counselor. In other words, what Paul is saying is, enjoy the mystery of God. Stop trying to work out all the time what he's doing in your life or what he should be doing in his life. And instead of trying to figure out God, just become a sacrifice for him. And so here in chapter 12, we are told to be living sacrifices. Now, the re I read the whole of chapter 12 because what is a living sacrifice? What does a Christian who is an active, living sacrifice look like? Well, the rest of chapter 12 tells you what it is to be a living sacrifice. And uh, the first section is all about your giftings, your callings, and your God-gifted abilities. Now, this can be the spiritual gifts, the nine spiritual gifts of 1 Corinthians, uh, prophecy and miracles and discerning of spirits and healing and, and, and word of knowledge. Yes, that's included in this, but also included in the gifts and calling of God on your life, which is to be a sacrifice back to him, is every ability that you have. Uh, whatever you are in the marketplace, whether it's education, whether it's transport, whether it's in the home, whether it's in social care, uh, whatever it is, whatever God has blessed you with as in, in the gift of your character and the ability, maybe you, you can do things with your hands, maybe you can work things out with your brain, maybe you have uh, a gift in the creative arts. All these things come from God and are there to serve God. And so in this first section, Paul says, you want to know what it is to be a living sacrifice? It's to make sure that you use the gifts and abilities that God has given to you for his service. And his first warning is, don't think highly, too highly of yourself. The problem is, when you have a gift in an area that other people don't, you can be a little bit smug. You can look down on other people that don't have the same gifting or ability that you have in that area. This is very common in the ministry. 
uh, where people tend to think that because God has given them an anointing in spiritual gifts or in preaching or teaching that somehow they're better than everybody else when actually they're meant to be the service of all. So how do you be a sacrifice in daily life? Well, you take the gifts that God has given you and you serve him humbly with those. You don't take the gifts and the abilities and use them solely to, to put yourself forward, to make you look good. But you use your gifts, your abilities to serve God and to serve his body. That's why we have the illustration of the body. We all have bodies and, and my, I need my hands, I need my feet, I need my nose, I need my ears, I need everything. What if my ears went on strike? What if my hands uh, uh, fell out with my feet? and refuse to cut the nails or what. You know, it would be crazy. I'd end up in a mental hospital because my body wouldn't do what the head wanted it to do. So each one of us are ligaments and limbs and organs in the body of Christ, not just local, but also national and global. God has given you gifts for such a time as this. And so when we talk about being a living sacrifice, I ask you, what are your gifts? What are your abilities? What are your strong points? And how are you using them and offering them as a sacrifice to God in service to the body of Christ? Right where you are in the marketplace, whatever your career or whatever you're involved in out there, in neighborhood, in culture, in society, in, in, in job, how are you functioning as a living sacrifice by taking your abilities, whatever level they may or may not be, and serving the Lord with the right attitude? That's the first section. So you say, I'm a living sacrifice. Okay, how are you stewarding your, stewarding your abilities, your gifts, and how are you doing out there? That's your sacrifice pleasing to God. God is watching you in the marriage as a husband and a wife. He's watching you. He's watching you how you look after your kids. He's watching you as a member of your wider family. He's watching you in the workplace, the student place. He's watching you and you can present to him by your godly attitudes and the gifts God has given to him, sacrifices of praise. It's a wonderful thing. The second section, so you've got your gifts and your abilities and how you use them to honor the Lord is taken as your sacrifice. But then the second section, starting in verse 9, is all about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Starts with, love must be sincere, and then goes on to tell you what love looks like. And so as we were reading that, we should be asking ourselves, do I look like the individual here in Romans 12? Am I using my gifts in a humble way? And am I displaying these types of characteristics from verse 9 onwards in my daily life? Uh, am, I, am I making sure that I don't lack zeal in serving the Lord? Am I patient in affliction? Am I faithful in prayer even when it seems my prayers aren't being answered? Am I practicing hospitality? Am I blessing those that don't like me? Am I mourning and touched by the suffering of others, even when everything's going well for me? Am I associating with those of low position, those that have got nothing to give me, nothing to help me in my career or path, but I, 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 I associate with them? Do I repay 
anyone evil for evil? Am I more of an eye and eye and a tooth for a tooth person? All these things are here. And I don't want to go in detail with them with you today, but I would say this. There's some homework for you. Maybe as I read this passage, or maybe as I'm highlighting it now, there is something that the Holy Spirit would take from using your abilities in a godly way, or acting in a godly way, and say, this is what you need more of right now in your circumstances. This is how you need to treat that person that's around you. The Holy Spirit can take this passage, and he can bring it right into your circumstance and present situation, and say, for you to be a living sacrifice today, and Monday morning and throughout the week, in the situation that you find yourself, I'm looking for more of this fruit. And to go this way, I mean, it's wonderful things. The, the, the description of, of, of what we should do, faithful in prayer, practice hospitality, live in harmony with one another, uh, honor one another above ourselves. The, these are wonderful things that can only be done by the Holy Spirit and sacrifice. It takes pain for sacrifice. Sacrifice costs or it's not worthy of offering to the Lord. And here are some of the costs in whatever situation you find yourself in to go God's way. Remember, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, God's way is not like man's way. And God doesn't think like the pattern of the world. In fact, the way that the world goes about its business is the exact opposite to the way that God goes about his, his business and is the exact opposite to kingdom thinking. Our default position in that fleshly part of us that each one of us have, even though we're Christians, that fleshly part that reacts against God, rebels against God, doesn't trust God, is the pattern of the world. But God has put a new pattern in us. He's given us a new nature that responds to a new pattern, the pattern of the work of the Holy Spirit and his fruit, kindness, generosity, self-control, faithfulness, faith, peace, joy. All these things are a new pattern. The Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon of the Mount, is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. And in it are a, a, amazing illustrations of how to deal with one another and situations in life. And they're all counterintuitive to the pattern of this world's mind. In other words, they're all the reverse to what the world would do. Love your enemies, bless your enemies, is counterintuitive. The flesh says, Destroy your enemies. Protect yourself from your enemies. If you don't, your enemy will run all over you. But God says, bless your enemies. Love your enemies. Provide for your enemies. It just doesn't make sense unless God is with you. The whole of the Sermon on the Mount is talking about living your life under the audience of one. Not doing things because other people want, want, you want other people to see, but doing things in the presence and vision of your Father in heaven who will reward you. 
Praying when nobody else knows that you're praying in the secret place. Giving and being generous, but not causing anybody to know about it. The exact opposite to the Pharisees that went along making sure everything, everybody saw what they were doing, how well they were doing, and applaud them. But this type of person, the person that is a living sacrifice, is only out to impress an audience of one, and that's the Father in heaven. Start living your life in the secret place. Start doing things that only your father will see. Acting in ways that only your father knows that you were doing it out of love and faith and honor. And you will begin to exhibit some of these principles of the fruit of the spirit that are here in Romans 12. So, like I said, I leave you with some homework. I want you to take Romans 12 away. And I want you to look at that section on your gifts and your abilities. And then the next section on love and the character of a spirit-filled Christian, and I want you to say, which of these is God saying right now uh, he's working on in my life? And put them into practice. It'll be difficult. It'll be painful. But God will then send his fire on your sacrifice. Psalm 51, verse 17 says this. Psalm 51, verse 17. My sacrifice, O God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So God is not looking for animal sacrifice. God is looking for the sacrifice that comes out of our hearts. Faith and love and hope. He's looking for attitudes and conversations and actions and refraining from actions that are in line with his command to love one another and in line with his word. And that takes a, a, uh, a broken and contrite heart, because our hearts, by default, are not soft to the Lord. They're hard to the Lord. And just like the soil, when the soil is hard, you can put all the seed you want on it, but if the seed can't get into the soil, it won't germinate. You have to plow up the soil. Plow it up, turn it over, break it up. Break up the fallow ground until it's soft and ready to receive the life-giving, miraculous, uh, producing word of God. Jesus said this in the parable of the sower, didn't he? Is your heart soft or hard today? Think about it. If you say it's soft, it's probably harder than you think. God is looking for soft hearts that will go his way and will give a sacrifice over obedience. And it says, God will not despise. What does it mean? It means he'll accept it. Now, we know in the Old Testament that God sometimes sent the fire to the sacrifice. We think of, uh, for example, David um, in the threshing place where the ark was. He did a sacrifice and God was so pleased with the sacrifice that he himself sent the fire onto the sacrifice for it to be burnt. We think of Solomon when uh, he, he had just built the temple and they were dedicating it to God and they had the sacrifice on the newly built altar and at that moment God was so pleased that they didn't have to create any human fire but God sent the fire himself. We think of Elijah when he was building an altar to prove that the prophets of Baal were, had no God at all and the prophets of Baal did everything they could, humanly speaking, to get some fire on that sacrifice. 
but uh, Elijah did the opposite. He poured water on it so that no human spark would, would get near it, and God sent the fire. Well, what about the New Testament? If we're told to be living sacrifices, a sacrifice has to be on fire. There's no such thing as a proper sacrifice in the Old Testament that, that, is a, that, that is an animal sacrifice that hasn't been set on fire. A lamb, a goat, or a bull. Sacrifice needs fire, or the sacrifice will just rot on the altar. No, fire is needed. So we ought to be living sacrifices, but where are we to expect the fire to come from? Well, Luke chapter 3, verse 16. Luke 3, 16. King James Version. Luke 3, 16. John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with Holy Ghost and with fire. John said there's a baptism, there's an immersion, there's an outpouring that comes from God alone, and you will be plunged into the Holy Ghost, but also this Holy Ghost will bring with him fire and you will be plunged into supernatural fire. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. When God sent his Holy Spirit on the top of each one of the heads that were in that upper room, there was tongues of fire above them. They were being baptized in Holy Ghost and in fire, Holy Spirit and in fire. And on the day of Pentecost, only those that had been uh, preparing the sacrifice for 50 days in the upper room prayer meeting were baptized in the fire. Nobody else was. They then went out on the, the power of the Holy Spirit and the fire began to spread. But they prepared a sacrifice of prayer. We read in Romans 12, one of these sacrificial actions that will cause God to send the fire as we become a living sacrifice is through faithful prayer. Now, when we prepare the sacrifice, which means to do whatever God wants you to do in any given situation, even though it hurts you, that is providing the sacrifice. It's taking Romans chapter 12 and putting it into practice, even when doing it is to your loss, at least to begin with. It's a sacrifice. God, I'm doing it your way. God, I'm not going to be angry. I'm not going to uh, take vengeance. I, I'm going to be different and I'm going to do it because it's my sacrifice today. Or you'll find sacrifice, sacrificial opportunities coming your way every day, especially living in a place like London. You, God has put people around us where there'll be plenty of sacrificial opportunities to do the right thing, say the right thing, and not say the wrong thing, and not do the, uh, do the wrong thing. Or there are opportunities daily for you to bring a little bit of sacrifice to the Lord. Little sacrifices, big sacrifices. And when you do that, you can believe that God will send his holy fire and his spirit upon that action to bless it. To bless it. So when fire comes, it cleanses and purifies. When fire comes, the fire of the Holy Spirit, it sets you ablaze with energy and holy zeal. When the fire of the Holy Spirit comes on our sacrifices, it illuminates us and brings light to our understanding and it brings burning 
love in our hearts. So when the Holy Spirit comes, expect there to be a deep work in your heart and life. wonder how many of you are going through a test or a trial right now. God is at work and, and, and uh, Peter calls it a fiery trial. But guess what? The trial that you're going through, the fire is the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing in that difficulty or what he's attempting to do in your heart is to produce in you maturity. Uh, I remember once the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said to me, he said, steal yourself, Bruce. I'm putting you in the arena. Steal yourself. I'm putting you in the arena. And so immediately I began thinking, what does God mean by that? And putting my own interpretations on it. I thought, oh, what arena is going to open up to me? What opportunities are going to open up to me? I better get ready. But I've realized after a few years since that was spoken to me that actually God's emphasis was not so much on going out into the arena, but steal. Steal yourself. What he was saying is that he was going to refine me on the inside like steel. And that was his focus rather than any arena of opportunity that may or may not arise. Now, when you look at steel and how it's refined, the steel that has suffered most is the best steel. That's a word for someone today. The steel that has suffered most is the best steel. It's been in the furnace, on the anvil, in the jaws of the vice. It's felt the teeth of the rasp and has been ground by emery. It's been heated and hammered and filed until it doesn't know itself, and it comes out often like a splendid sharp knife. Misfortunes are God's best blessings, molding influences which give shapeliness and edge and durability and power. That's Henry Ward Breacher. C.H. Spurgeon said this, the refiner is never far from the mouth of the furnace when his gold is in the fire. And the Son of God is always walking in the flames when his holy children are cast into them. There was a, a lady cell group, prayer group, Bible study, and they had been studying Malachi chapter uh, 3 and verse 3, which says, And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. One lady said, I, I know where there is a silversmith who makes fine silver jewellery. I'm going to go round and I'm going to ask them, what is the process of purifying and refining silver so we can learn more about Malachi 3.3? So she went to see the uh, silversmith who was happy to explain uh, the process and um, he described it to her. And uh, she said, so what do you do while the silver is being refined? He said, well, I sit and I observe it acutely. I must sit with my eyes steadily fixed on the furnace. For if the time necessary for refining is exceeded, in the slightest degree, the silver will be injured. The lady at once saw the beauty and comfort of the expression, he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. The Lord knows how much we can take. He knows when to turn the heat up. And he knows when to turn the heat down. But he is absolutely, by his spirit, 100% committed to refining us by the fire and the work of the Holy Spirit on the inside of our lives. As she left, uh, she was leaving, the silversmith shouted out to her, wait, 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 I forgot to tell you one thing. And she said, well, what is it? He said, 
uh, I, I need to let you know when the purifying is complete. He said, I only know when the process of purifying the silver is complete, when I can see my own image reflected in the silver. I'm telling you, when you're looking at Romans chapter 12 and the attitudes and aptitudes and characteristics of a spirit-filled Christian, it's a mirror to your own soul of what God is trying to produce in you. God is refining you and he'll keep refining you so that he can see more of his image in you. Let's get with the program. The program is not about doing this and doing that and doing the other. That comes second. The program is becoming the person that God has created us to become. Becoming the authentic Christian that you have been born again. And that's his main work. The most powerful work of the Holy Spirit on earth today is his work in refining the hearts of the Father's children. That's what he's doing, more than any miracle or healing. God does his best work on the inside of his people, and he's looking for cooperation. Learn the workings of the Holy Spirit. Times in my life, God's been working deeply in my heart. I didn't even know it was him working. I thought it was the devil. So how am I going to cooperate with God refining me? You see, when you put a sacrificial animal on an altar and the fire comes, you soon smell the burning up of flesh. The Holy Spirit loves the children of God. Even those that are weak and backslidden, he loves them. He loves those that are struggling with the flesh, but the Holy Spirit does not love the flesh. What is the flesh? It's that bitterness that's not yet saved. Is that bitterness that rises up and does the opposite to Romans 12? Gets angry, fearful, is deceitful, lies. Oh, you know the works of the flesh. That bit's not the true you, but it still hangs around. But when God sends the fire, and when you do these sacrifices as they come your way, little sacrifices, big sacrifices, all there in Romans 12, towards people in circumstances, when you do that, you feel the pain. When you go God's way, you feel the pain or the loss in going God's way. But what is that pain? It's the fire burning up the flesh in you. Glory to God. You see, the, the Holy Spirit hates the flesh. And the flesh hates the Holy Spirit. So when the Holy Spirit comes more powerfully in your life, and he is, then you won't always be feeling good. Sometimes you'll feel the wonderful, refreshing waves of the Holy Spirit. Other times you'll be surprised at the stuff that's coming out of you. Things you thought you'd dealt with, attitudes you thought you'd long, long since gone. But don't be discouraged. Because when the Holy Spirit comes in power, he provokes the flesh to burn it up. So when you find things coming up, you thought, I thought I dealt with that. Or you, or you, you struggle with the areas of the flesh, just know that the flesh is rising up so that the spirit can burn it. And the spirit can burn that flesh away. We call it crucify. He'll burn it away by your sacrifice. When you choose to do the godly thing, and not the selfish fleshly thing, you have just produced a sacrifice. And in the pain of going the godly way, God will send his fire, and the pain you're feeling is that flesh pot that's being eliminated by the Holy Spirit. 
You see, we crucify the flesh, Galatians says. But the crucifying of the flesh is in the context of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. Those that walk by the Spirit keep in step with the Spirit. These are not under the power of the flesh. What does it mean to keep in step with the Holy Spirit? It's a description there in Romans 12 in your gifts and your abilities and the way that you deal with situations. As you go the Holy Ghost way, then you will find that flesh in you burning away, being crucified. But at the same time, you will find that beautiful thing that God has placed in you, the new creation, begin to come alive. Deep within each one of you is the spark of the Holy Spirit's fire if you're a Christian here today. Whether you had to drag yourself down here today, or whether you are full of beans and skipping to church, whether you've got a whole bunch of stuff that's weighing you down, you're caught in sin or difficulties or despair, or deep down there is a spark of God and God wants it to burst into flame all over again. The Holy Spirit is working in our lives, cleansing and purifying so that we are no longer addicted or relying on what the pattern of the world gives. We become reliant on what the pattern of the kingdom gives. We wean ourselves off the soured milk of the world and we begin to drink the milk of God's word and put into practice until we grow strong enough to eat the meat of God. What does it mean to eat the meat of God? The Corinthians, they could only drink the milk. They couldn't eat the meat because they couldn't digest the Christian lifestyle in the pattern of the world that they were thinking. Their minds were not prepared to say no to the flesh, no to the devil, and no to the pattern of the world, and to embrace a new way of living. When the Holy Ghost comes in fire, when you go God's way and offer him that sacrifice, no matter how small or mundane during the day it is, and the fire will come as you prepare the sacrifice, the fire of his purging and his working to bring the image of God out of you, but also will come a fervor, a zeal, a divine energy to rise up and do everything that God has called you to do. In the early church, how was the uh, message spread. It wasn't spread by external organizations, institutions, or mechanical systems. No, people who believed God were set on fire by God, went out of the upper room and began to set people on fire with their words and their deeds. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, when he comes in fire, he is contagious. When you offer the sacrifice of daily living, fire is going to come on you. It's going to cleanse you, but it's also going to burn within you. When you go God's way, the more of God's way you begin to go, the more of God's way you will go, the more you'll realize that God's way ultimately is the best way, the more you'll enjoy it, the, 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 the wider your heart will open. God is at work energizing. Somebody once said that, Men ablaze or invincible. Hell trembles when men kindle. It means women as well. Men ablaze or invincible. Hell trembles when men kindle. 
to be a burning sacrifice, to burn on and burn on and burn on with a fuel that's not your own, with a passion that's not your own, with a love that's not your own. What the Holy Spirit wants to do is, is bring some burning love into our hearts and then cause us to, to, to have some burning love to others. A love that's not our own, a love that comes from God, a burning love. My favorite Elvis tune, that, burning love. Uh, and, and that's what we need, burning love. You can't produce any of this, but you can position yourself for it. You can't dictate how and when the fire of the Holy Spirit works in your life, but you can offer the sacrifice of a contrite heart, an obedient heart, if the worship team could come up right now. Just where you are, reflect. He'll provide the fire if you provide the sacrifice. Is there some sort of out-of-joint relationship that you're engaged in right now, offense, some sort of out-of-joint relationship, what is the sacrifice that you need to bring into that out-of-joint relationship to allow God to bring his fire into your life, whether the person responds or not? What about your finances? What about your marriage? What about your family? What about your gifts? What about your ministry? What about these things? What about tomorrow when you go to work or study or you're in your community? What about when you leave church? What sacrifices, small or large, as the Holy Spirit dictates, not asking you to do what you can't do, he will show you in that moment, go my way, son, go my way, daughter, sacrifice, trust me in this, and I'll send you the fire of my blessing, amen?